0: Hi, I'm Kelsey Anderson, and you are listening to the Functional Tennis Podcast.
1: Welcome to the Functional Tennis Podcast. I'm Fabio Molli, your host. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. Our episode with Nikolai Davidenko is extremely popular and I know we've picked up a few new listeners, so welcome guys. And if you're a past listener, no matter how long, welcome and yeah, I hope you're going to enjoy this episode. This week is a first for us at Functional Tennis. We speak to Kelsey Anderson, who is the wife of former World number no. 5 and Grand Slam finalist Kevin Anderson. Kelsey tells us how her and Kevin got together back in Memphis while she was on a golf scholarship and Kevin was on his tennis scholarship. She tells us all about the good and bad of life on tour, mainly good, her role on the team, dealing with injuries, her favourite tournaments, matches and more. Before we get started, a shout out to Slinger Bag, our long term sponsors of the podcast. The Slinger Bag is a great portable ball machine that will help improve your game by helping you get in those reps. Head over to slingerbag.com to get all the info. Okay, here's Kelsey. Hi, Kelsey. Welcome to the Functional Tennis Podcast. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm very good. I'm very good. Uh, thanks for jumping on. I thought you might have been in Australia with Kevin, but. You're probably glad to be... You're in Florida, are you now?
0: I am. We're having a pretty cold day here for Florida. It's the coldest day we've had so far this winter. It's like 60 degrees. So, like, I think that's like 15 for you Celsius, people. So, pretty cold for for Florida.
1: That's pretty... It'll be warm here, so, yeah. I
0: know. (laughs)
1: So, so first of all, I thought, as I just mentioned before we got started, I thought we may have been talking about Kevin's second-round match. Unfortunately... He had a tough first round match against Opelka. Tell me, just how does that work when you're at home and Kevin's in Australia? Do you ring him? Does he ring you? Do you just wait 24 hours?
0: Yeah, I mean, so I did wake up and watch um, the match. It. We're really lucky in the United States. ESPN has the coverage of, Australian Open, Wimbledon, I think U.S. Open as well. I'm not sure that they have all of the coverage. Tennis Channel has some of the coverage for Roland Garros. But when it comes to the majors, you can kind of pick your court. So even though I think they were scheduled for court 13, had a court change, ended up on court 15, I was able to watch the whole match. So that was really nice because in my experience, watching the numbers change on the live scores is excruciating. I'd almost rather not watch them than just sit and watch the scores and not know what's going on. So, yeah, I was able to watch the match. Obviously, not Kevin's day. Riley played phenomenally well, served out of this world. So it was going to be a tough match either way. But when he's playing like that, it becomes almost impossible for anyone to beat him. So hats off to Riley. I think if he keeps playing like that, he's going to have an amazing tournament. I know he's still kind of waiting on uh, his big breakthrough at a Grand Slam. So maybe maybe we'll see it in these yeah. next two weeks. So he played great.
1: And how does Kevin... Breakthrough through the results? Does he call you? Do you call him? How do you handle that?
0: I mean, usually immediately after a match, if I'm not there, one of us will send a text because he's got commitments, like he's got to stretch, cool down. There's usually some sort of press after a match. So there's not really an opportunity to talk on the phone, even win or lose, but usually we'll send a quick message and then we'll kind of get into the details of what happened like a little bit later. Uh, so, yeah, you know, I just, I, I think I said, oh, hey, tough one. You know, I thought you played well in such and such part of the match. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. I didn't go your way type of thing.
1: And, and do you talk strategy with him afterwards? What went wrong? What went right? What you do different next time? Or do you not get involved in that?
0: No, I mean, I do. I try I try to give input where I can. I'm not a tennis player myself. i I'm taking lessons, but I'm not a, uh, a talented tennis player myself. So obviously my tennis knowledge is somewhat limited, but as far as mindset and competition and stuff, I was an athlete. So I, I feel like that's where I can contribute to things. And, you know, obviously after this previous match, Kevin was a little bit down, he's more in the twilight of his career. And it, it's tough to fly all the way to Australia and lose two matches. And so I think he was feeling a little bit despondent and that's where I feel like I can step in. And I was kind of like, Hey, you know, first of all, this isn't the time to be down on yourself. You're not going to be in a good mental state after a loss, no matter what the scenario is. And then second of all, you won a tournament less than six months ago. Like let's try to chin up here. It's not doom and gloom just yet. So that's the type of stuff that I'll say to him and the type of input I'll have. And I mean, here and there, I can offer things from a tennis perspective, just what I've seen but he's he's got a very competent, very talented staff of coaches that can help him with with the tennis side of things, so i I leave that to them where i can
1: <laughs> we We did have Diego, his coach on the podcast not so long ago he was great, really informative, and obviously spoke very highly and he told us what he learned from Kevin, which was great. but you say you don't have much experience, you've been on the road for I don't know more than ten years with Kevin, so yes, you, sh- you surely have some experience. You have experience. You know, you mean you may not have le- experience at the lower level, but the top level, you've heard the conversations. You've been with the coaches, so I'm I'm sure you can add a lot of value to win losses. So, yeah, that's that's all. I'm, I'm not sure where you take it from there, but that's what I'm saying. So you definitely have a lot to offer. I'd, I'd say
0: I think there's this perception of wives and girlfriends of sports people in general you know, the whole trophy wife stereotype that they're just kind of there to uh, kind of be along for the ride and that they're not involved. But I think when you look at some of the sports people who I admire the most, they they really do have a strong presence. Like, I know Marca has been a great support to Roger over the years, and he has said unequivocally that without her, he couldn't have done anything. Yeah. So I think, yeah, I mean, I don't want to discount, you know, the input that a significant other can bring to A tennis player and a sports person in general but yeah just from a tactical standpoint I my knowledge is limited
1: (laughs) (laughs) great look it's it's the whole team isn't it you're one of the team and what what would you actually call your I know your wife mother support team what would you actually give yourself a role name
0: yeah. So Kevin had a physiotherapist a few years ago who started calling me the support team chairperson. And I like that. So yeah, I'm the support team chairperson. I'm the leader of, of that contingent. So that's that's what I like to nice. call myself and officially.
1: Nice. Great. <laughs> more, uh,
0: more of an admin. Like when I have to fill out forms at the airport and they say, what's your occupation? I say administrative. But <laughs>
1: Okay. Yeah. Well, great. And yeah. Did- Do you prefer being at, like, let's say in Australia, would you actually prefer to be there right now or are you happy enough being at home?
0: I would have loved to have been there. It just, it wasn't in the cards this year. My passport was up for renewal in April, so April of 22, and it's very delayed right now. So uh, you can't travel when you have less than six months on your passport. So I would have had to do, jump through hoops to get an emergency permission. And I have a two-year-old and... With how everything went last year with the uh, changing rules and the lockdowns and stuff, I just was not as highly motivated to uh, jump through hoops to make it to Australia this year. But um, it seems like everything went well for most of the players in the draw as far as that. It was very different climate than last year where we had to spend two weeks in a hotel and then as soon as we got out, I think we were out for a day and then they went into another citywide lockdown. Then we had two more days and then it was like a five-day lockdown and we could barely get out of the country. So that was kind of what I was unwilling to deal with again this year. But, you know, I'm sad that I couldn't be there. It's obviously everybody just raves about the tournament because it really is such a special event. And the city and the country as a whole is one of my favorite places to be. So I'm, I'm sad not to be there.
1: You'll be back. You'll be back next year. And obviously yeah. you have a a two-year-old. A, yes. Is it Kira? Is that the name? Kira, Kira mm-hmm. great so that must be amazing and what's it like travelling with with Kira it must be so special to be able to hit the road is it but is there challenges as well how have you found that
0: yeah she's been i mean she's really good uh we've been very very lucky as far as adaptability and her ability to sleep anywhere she doesn't give us too much trouble with anything like that but it is it's it's an extra set of people and moving pieces that you have to organize and more luggage and more, more everything. It's just, everything's more complicated with, with a two-year-old. That's definitely a little bit challenging. Admittedly, I haven't traveled much at all because I just didn't have the appetite to travel during the pandemic and be kind of subject to lockdowns and different rules and regulations with a baby. And it just wasn't something that I was comfortable dealing with over the last year. So I only I've only traveled within the United States with oh. our daughter since the COVID pandemic kind of hit in April of last year, March, April. It's been, it's been a little bit limited for me. Actually, that's not true. We went to Australia in 2021. We, we went down there with her, which w- went pretty well, even though we were locked in a hotel yeah. room for two weeks and all that. She did great. Coming home... Was challenging with the jet lag okay. and yeah, she was she was a little naughty on the on the flight home. She didn't <laughs> want to sleep. She didn't want to sit. She didn't want to do anything. She was running up and down the aisles. It was wild. So
1: uh, you've obviously you guys are known. Must be when first traveling with a dog. Yes, that must help first of all. But when now when you travel, you travel with dog and baby
0: yeah it's a wow. lot sometimes i I have a pretty good system down where I can do it alone with the two, but it definitely helps if I'm traveling with somebody else to kind of manage it all but it's it's not easy, but we really we love having the dog around It's been a really great thing for us and our family and um I don't know we we enjoy being together, so this time with the covid and the pandemic keeping us apart has been it's been tough so we're looking forward to hopefully moving past this at some point in the future. Um, I never really thought when we locked down in March of 2020 that we'd still be kind of in a similar position two, two whole years later but here we are.
1: It's definitely crazy but I think things are getting a bit better now so as you say hopefully to be more tournaments for you with the family. Where did you and Kevin meet? Let's go back to the early days.
0: Okay so I grew up in the north suburbs of Chicago, and I was a golfer, and I got recruited to play golf at University of Illinois, which is obviously the flagship state school in Illinois where I was from. So I joined the golf team there my freshman year, and um, my I'm trying to decide if I should go into more detail with this or less, but I yeah. don't know that we've like very publicly shared the more detailed version of how we actually met, but... Why not? So my high school boyfriend was on the football team at University of Illinois as well, and they wanted him to come the summer before he started his freshman year to train with the team. But I'm not sure how much you would be aware of this, but the NCAA has all sorts of rules around um, what benefits you can receive as a student athlete. It's actually being hotly contested right now, as far as whether athletes can get paid, whether they can get gifts from people, whether they can receive uh, endorsement money based on their own name and celebrity. Basically, when Kevin and I were in school and my ex-boyfriend, you couldn't get anything, like nothing extra other than your books, your tuition, and your remote board. So specifically the summer before incoming freshman year, he wasn't allowed to receive athletic housing or anything of the sort. So he needed to find a place to live. And my sister, who was a student at the university, said, hey, I know these tennis players who are going to be off playing tournaments all summer. I bet you he could rent his apartment from one of them. So I connected my ex-boyfriend, or current boyfriend at the time, but ex-boyfriend now with a tennis player, Ryler DeHart. He went on, he had a pretty uh, successful career himself. And my ex-boyfriend rented Ryler's apartment for the summer. So as it turns out, Kevin, I think he got a stress fracture or something in his foot and wasn't playing tournaments. So he also didn't have anywhere to stay. So Kevin was in that apartment that summer. (laughs) And officially that's where Kevin and I met because I went to visit my ex-boyfriend and we kind of said, Oh, Hey, hi, how are you? And then flash forward to when I got to school in the fall and that guy and I split up and uh, Kevin and I kind of met again at parties, the golfers and the tennis players hung out a lot for some reason. And, um, we, we met kind of through mutual friends again. And I was like, Oh, Hey, we met this summer. How are you? And kind of took off from there. So.
1: That's brilliant. That's brilliant. Yeah. And so, so yeah, you dated trail college and then obviously did you play much more golf?
0: Yeah. So I played two years for the university and then my junior year, I decided to stop and focus on school and Kevin played, he, he left school at the same time I stopped on the golf team to turn professional. He, Kevin played, three years of eligibility at university of illinois but he only completed two and a half years of school because in south africa the school year starts in january so kevin actually came to university of illinois in january whereas most entering freshmen start in august okay so he he kind of only had two and a half semesters there so he turned pro and then um i would travel to see him when and where i could throughout the year and then he would come back and continue to train with the team and the coach, Brad Dancer. Um, they had a very close relationship. And, I mean, we have a lot to thank Brad for as far as his willingness to continue to work with Kevin when Kevin would come back in town and um, allowing him to use facilities and train with the team. It was really, really wonderful. They had a really great program, and, and they're still continuing. They have, you know, Alex Vukic, who is in the second round of Australian Open. He came from University of Illinois. Um, so, yeah, it's a good program, and we're really lucky to be a part of it.
1: Great. And then th- what time did you decide to travel more full-time?
0: Um, so when I left college, I took a job with a company called Navigant Consulting. I did litigation consulting. I was I was an accounting and finance major. So I got my CPA, worked in forensic accounting for a year and a half, and then I switched over to audit at Ernst & Young. Did that for another two, three years, two years. And I handed in my notice the day I got promoted to senior. I said, all right, this is fun. I'm going to go travel with my husband now for a little bit. (laughs) So when I quit my job at Ernst & Young, Kevin and I were much more serious about moving down to Florida. And I kind of just felt like I didn't want to have to reestablish myself in a new office and build a new client base within Ernst & Young at that point in time. I said, you know, I I maybe want to go a different direction with my career. So I'll just take six months, get us moved into this house, be with Kevin, see how that goes, and then kind of start looking at what I want to do again. But we had so much fun, and it worked out well for both of us. And I never really looked back at the professional side of things for myself. <laughs> so
1: that's great. And tell me, you guys got married in twenty eleven.
0: Yes. So we we still lived in Chicago for a year. Um, Kevin was obviously on the road, but I still lived in Chicago for a year after we got married, and then we moved down to Florida in twenty twelve.
1: So. Where? It's been, yeah. So you love Florida. It's the place. Obviously, for tennis players, it's a dream.
0: Yeah, we love it.
1: Great, great. This podcast is brought to you by Asics Tennis. Asics is a Japanese company founded in 1949 with the purpose of giving more people the opportunity to experience how sport and movement can have a positive impact on mental well-being. That purpose is also in their name. Asics is an acronym which means Anime Sano Incorporate Sano, a Latin phrase meaning sound mind, sound body. Today, the brand is still dedicated to that founding belief of demonstrating the positive effects sport and movement can have on our mental well-being all over the world. world. They just launched their most innovative tennis range ever, which includes the new Court FF3 Novak, the shoe designed from the ground up with the help of Novak Djokovic. Get your pair now at asics.com. And tell me, so you're travelling all the time. You know, everybody thinks travelling is great. You get to watch tennis all the time, in the box, in the players' area, but what are the challenges? Like, there must be something that isn't as exciting being on the Um, road, or maybe not.
0: I mean... I really I really like the life on the road. Obviously, the things that are stressful with traveling for anybody, you know, you don't have you're living out of your suitcase, you don't have a kitchen a lot of times. You don't have your own bed, your all your stuff. I know that sounds silly, but it it, it is a challenge and you have to get to be okay with that. And then obviously just dealing with flights, travel delays, like all that stuff that comes with it. It's tough. It's a challenge, but Kevin and I have always said we're like you can't say you enjoy being a professional tennis player, but you hate the travel. Like it's kind of it's kind of part of it. Yeah. So you have to find a way to just embrace it and deal with things as they come. And, and just know that nothing's ever gonna run smoothly as much as you try to be a well-oiled machine. Like we have been with our, our whole tennis business, as I like to call it, um, stuff always goes wrong. And you just have to roll with the punches and do the best you can at any point in time. So that's kind of the attitude we approach, we approach it with. But I mean, the number of things that I've been able to experience through tennis, through professional tennis that I wouldn't have otherwise been able to do. I mean, it's, it's countless. I've had so many fabulous experiences, places, people that I've met that I never would have met if I hadn't been brought into this world. So I, I feel super lucky. I, it's, it's just been a really, really wonderful part of my life so far. And I just feel so fortunate. So it's been really fun.
1: And tell me, when you're in the players' box, Wimbledon final, what sort of person are you? Are you nervous, excited? How do you handle that?
0: Yeah, super, super nervous. I think it was Kevin's coach, Neville Godwin. Of like, uh, This is a long time ago. They worked together. But he, he said to us one time, he's like, you know, when you stop playing you will never experience the highs and the lows of life the same way you do through tennis. And I think he's so he's so right. I mean, the extreme happiness when things are going yeah. great and you have these um, monumental achievements or even just within a specific match, like good points. Like in, a, in my day-to-day life, now that I've been a, more removed from it, you don't experience that. And then uh, on the flip side, the lows, like super depressing and despondent <laughs> after some matches. I was talking to um, Sarah Foster one time, Tommy Haas's wife. And she was like, yeah, sometimes there's matches. You just can't get over it. And it'll be two, three days later. And I'm still mad. And Tommy's like, Sarah, you have to get over this, but I can't.
1: <laughs> and it's
0: true. I think everybody has those. I mean, there's still moments where I look back on it. And you just tennis has this weird ability to take you to a really dark and down place, both within a match and after. And, it's just it's fascinating really like the psychology of it all is super interesting and it's also i've i've often said you have to be to be good at tennis you have to be good at bouncing back and like putting those things aside because the reality is pretty much everybody loses every single week yeah. so so coping with the losses and rolling with the punches i mean it's a huge huge part of the game and I, I think Kevin does a really good job at it, and I think most players would probably be in the same boat because you you have to move on. the The wheel keeps turning, and there's always another tournament. <laughs> there's always another another major coming up in a couple months, and and you just have to keep you know putting one foot in front of the other and moving on. So the highs and lows, though, in tennis, it's 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 real. It's a real right. thing. So
1: <laughs> what about the injuries? Like I know Kevin's been injured quite a bit, and that must be really tough for for everybody. Where you know you just you're putting in all this work and all this hard, it's the boring work, isn't it?
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, obviously some of that you feel like it's in your control. So that's, that's the hard thing. You feel like, oh, I should be doing rehab, prehab, controlling my hours on court, controlling my hours in matches, you know, the wear and tear on your body that you're doing. And you feel like you have some element of control over that, but at the same time, you don't have an element of control over it. A hundred percent. You're, People just pick up injuries, That's it's, it's been super challenging. Obviously Kevin has had years of his career kind of stolen from him due to, to injuries and surgeries and, and whatnot. So it's, it's a tough pill to swallow, but at the end of the day, it's not unique to us. It's, I mean, there's people with stories 20 times worse than ours. I, I I don't know what the deal is, but I just saw somebody, um, the other day, Jared Donaldson, he took a job coaching college tennis and I didn't even know he'd stopped playing. So, and maybe, maybe he'll come back. I mean, there's Brian Baker had horrible injuries. Yeah. He came back and had a resurgence in his career later on. So, so maybe it's not the end, but you hear these stories all the time. Del Potro is one who's just been riddled with injuries. and It's just sad, you know, to see somebody so talented and so accomplished at something and they just don't have the physical stamina to to compete at the level that you need to it's it's tough. It's it's a tough thing to deal with. Uh, what I will say for Kevin is he commits a ton of time and energy to keeping his body healthy. I think that's the thing our friends who've gotten to know us here in Florida like didn't understand at first is like, oh, he doesn't just go practice tennis for a couple hours a day. It is a full-time job as far as the number of hours he's putting in with all the other stuff. The The tennis training is about this big it's it's teeny tiny part of of what he works on and everything else is all the stuff that takes so much time and it's so tedious and we're talking hours a day with rehab prehab strength endurance training all the things you need to do that so that you don't get hurt or so that you can heal the things that are hurt and um talking to doctors visiting traveling to go see doctors like there's so many things at play and um I think, I think that is sometimes really surprising to people who aren't yeah. on our side of things. But yeah, I mean, it's it's been tough. And I know it's been really upsetting to Kevin because he has a reputation for working really hard. And I would say that that's 100% true. Whatever people's perception of how hard Kevin works, it, you can multiply that by 10. Mm. He, he just is so fully committed. It's his absolute obsession to do everything he can to be the best tennis player that he can be. And uh, there's a lot that goes into that behind the
1: scenes yeah but i think the andy murray documentary really opened up you know people's minds of what goes Mm -hmm. on and to get back when you're injured how much work goes into it you spend all day working on these tiny exercises and you say so much more to traveling and doctors and all the other things but on a more positive note Two questions for you. Which is your favorite tournament you like going back to every year because you feel so comfortable there and you're fun? Probably one that Kevin's won. Or And two, which is your favorite ever match that you've been a supporter watching Kevin?
0: Okay, so this is funny because this is a question that tennis players get asked a lot. It's like a question yeah. I get asked a lot. Almost everybody always says one of the majors. It's like Wimbledon or US Open, Australian Open. And the don't get me wrong. The majors are all phenomenal events. They're all special in their own right. So we can kind of put that aside. I think a more interesting answer is my best tennis experience was the World Tour Finals in, in okay. London at the O2. Unfortunately, we've only been once. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. we've been really close a couple of times. But the only year we, we competed in that was 2018. But man, oh man, what special memories we had there. They First of all, they just make you feel like, absolute royalty from the minute you show up. Everything is taken care of for you. They want to make sure, you know, your team has the best accommodation, the best... I mean, whatever you need, it's it's taken care of. You have your own... The players have their own locker room with, like, imagery of them all over wow. the door and the walls, and somehow I still managed to accidentally walk into Novak's <laughs> locker room, even though there's like a huge picture of him on the door. So that was kind of embarrassing. But, yeah, no, it's just... It's a really cool event. It was my birthday when we were there, and Kevin convinced like the 15,000 people in the stadium to sing me happy birthday oh, wow. after one of his matches. <laughs> so that was really fun. We also we have family that lives in London, so that really added to the experience to be able to share, share everything with them. Um, Kevin's mom came from South Africa. It was just really, really special for me. So that was definitely one of my most special tennis memories. As far as specific match... I mean, he's had so many special matches, obviously. The one that I really go back to was when he played at US Open. He played Andy Murray on Armstrong, and it was in the fourth round. Uh, I think this was in 2013, maybe. And Kevin was like, Mr. Fourth round. He had done it like, <laughs> I think he made fourth round of like seven majors at that point mm-hmm. and had not been able to break through. And Obviously, he believed he was talented enough to make quarterfinals or better of a major. We all believed he was talented enough to make quarterfinals or better of a major. But for some reason, this was just this hurdle that he couldn't get past, whether it was mental. I mean, obviously, he came up against Novak a bunch of times in the fourth round. His nemesis, uh, Thomas Burdich, who he's never been able to beat somehow. (laughs) Damn it. And he got (laughs) there. He quit. Um, He played him a whole bunch of times in the fourth round. It just, it was like tough. So, anyways, he's playing Andy Murray. It's this great match. It seemed like they were both playing well physically. So it wasn't like a fluke or anything. It was just a really good match. And Kevin played really, really well. And it was so fun. I, I don't know if you've ever been to that tournament or that court, but it was the old center court at Flushing Meadows. And the, the seats are pretty much right on the court. So there was like crazy fan engagement. It feels for such a big stadium. It was 10,000 people, I think capacity, but it feels really intimate or it did. It doesn't exist anymore. Um, felt super intimate for such a huge stadium. It was just, Amazing, great crowd supporting both players. It was just awesome, and then for him to win that match and come out ahead and make his first quarterfinal was really, really special. And then to sweeten it even more, and people when they ask me like, (laughs) what am I most proud of of Kevin's achievements and accomplishments? He was awarded the sportsmanship award that year by the US Open, and I I don't know why. That's still to this day of everything and all the accolades and accomplishments. That's the one I'm the most proud of. That you know he was recognized by. The tournament they said this is this is the guy we want to honor with that so that's my favorite match my most fond memories we had so many friends there it was just packed and just to be able to share that with everyone was really fun
1: Kelsey that's amazing I'm sure there's a few more great matches ahead of you so uh, you'll have yeah, plenty hopefully. more to choose from but yeah all I'm gonna end this with is maybe you're gonna have to give Kevin a little nudge and later in the year we can get him on here
0: yeah no he'd, he'd be a great guest he's of uh I don't know. I've done more podcasts than him. I think I'm not, I'm not sure that he's ever done one before. So maybe you can be, his first podcast, but I'm i I'm a huge fan of the program. I've, I've listened to a whole bunch of them. Not all, how many of you done? A hundred and something. I haven't listened to all of them, but yeah.
1: Either, either of all, I won't even them. No, 130, no, this, 100, this number officially in 133, we've done more. So nice. Uh, that's yeah. a good
0: number. I like that. Happy to be 133.
1: <laughs> thank you. Thank you very much. And yeah, so that's it. So thanks a lot for jumping on. Really interesting to get your side of the story of your life. And yeah, thank you.
0: Yeah. Thank you. It's a pleasure.
1: Hope you enjoyed that episode. It was great speaking to Kelsey. I'll be back next week. Until then, get out there and hit some tennis balls. Bye.